Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Odetta Cushy, Deputy Chief Economist at First American, to talk about mortgage rates, affordability, inventory, and more. Odetta, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sarah. It's so great to be here. Great to have you. And you were just on our HW Plus Market Update last week, and uh, we're going to get into some of that, but we love going to you and finding out um, you know, what the latest is. And today, of course, we, um, we're we recording this on Tuesday, February 14th. So we got the Jan- January CPI report. What is the headline number from your perspective from that inflation report? Really, I think it's, you know, the takeaway for me is that the Fed's job is not done yet. Uh, We haven't gotten rid of inflation that easy. And I think, you know, the biggest... The biggest takeaway for me was that shelter was such a big driver of this month's uh, month-over-month increase, and we know from more real-time data that uh, residential inflation is coming down, and that's not quite reflected in those CPI numbers yet, but they will be. Uh, it's it's a lagging indicator in the CPI, so there is good news to come from the shelter inflation front, and that's something to keep in mind when looking at that January number. Really important, you know, the the shelter inflation, and that includes rent and you know what people are are, are paying for mortgages. Correct? Yes, it's uh, owner's equivalent rent and rent as well, which we know house prices are starting to come down, and we also know that rents are coming down as well. Well, let's talk about some of the things that we're looking for for the spring home buying season, which, you know, uh, I mean, we're just around the corner from it, depending on where you are, right? This We're already seeing some things um, percolate and some markets that are that are getting hotter than maybe we would have considered a couple months ago. Um, so let's let's talk first about mortgage rates. You know, there are so many different variables that go into mortgage rate prediction, um, but, but let's talk about that a little bit. Does the CPI report suggest the idea that we're stabilizing um, on mortgage rates anywhere? That's the big question, right? Housing is so dependent on mortgage rates, and that's what we're all watching. I think, so when we look at, at it from a long-term perspective, we're looking at when will the Fed stop hiking rates and you know, and how long will they keep them high, right? Because once they stop hiking, then they'll probably keep them elevated for some time um, when we really start to see inflation come down. Right now, that terminal rate's like between five and five and a quarter percent, according to the last FOMC projections. So that implies that we've got a few more, um, like two more 25 basis point rate hikes ahead of us, if that's correct. Um, but it's really all dependent on incoming inflation data. I think we could see, you know, some more upward pressure on that 30-year fixed rate mortgage if we get, you know, inflation prints that surprise to the upside. But generally speaking, if inflation continues to come down, we should start to see mortgage rates stabilize and allow for a more stable housing market. From your perspective, if you're, you know, we know that people can't really time the market, right? But if you are, do you feel like there are buyers on the sidelines, quote unquote, on the sidelines, looking at this going, you know, I've been waiting, um, you know, since mortgage rates started to get really volatile about halfway through the year last year, I'm, I'm really ready to buy. I'm just going to jump in. I think so. I think there's a lot of, you know, ready buyers who have spoken with their lender, who are calling their lenders, asking what rates are looking like that day. Um, but really the question is, even if you can afford to buy, uh, even if rates have kind of helped the affordability equation for you, 
can you find anything available for sale in your market, right? Because you can't buy what's not for sale. And we know that inventory uh, has been trending lower. Uh, just looking at the, the Altos data, right, that just came out, we're seeing inventory continue uh, to trend down. And again, you can't buy what's not for sale. So there might be more demand coming in, but that supply side of the equation is still very, very limited. Let's talk about that affordability part of this uh, for a minute. So what happened... Uh, <laughs> What happened over the, just a second. She knows how to open doors. I can't help it. I shut the door and she still made her way in. Oh, that's so funny. So for our listeners, we just had a cat walk through the, uh, walk through (laughs) our, our, uh, podcast here, which I love. We always get to see um, extra, extra things about people. And Odetta has some very beautiful looking cats. Um, yeah, it's very on brand for me for this to happen, by the way. (laughs) It happens to us all. I love it. Um, so we're talking about affordability. You know, if, um, if you're looking at it, yes, they've come down, but other things, you know, prices haven't, I don't, I don't think price house prices have come down to the extent that people thought they might given mortgage rates. What is your take on that? Well, houses are house prices are downside sticky, particularly when we're talking about existing home prices, because it's a, a different uh, different beast with new home prices because the seller is fundamentally different, right? It's a builder rather than a homeowner. And if you're a homeowner right now, um, and and even if you're thinking about selling, you've looked at your neighbor's house that may be sold in a situation with multiple offers, and you're you're saying to yourself, "Well, I want to get the same price that my neighbor got." Um, and so, you know, rather than sell at a time when you could get a lower price, you just choose to stay put instead. And so, you know, sellers staying put make prices downside sticky. So prices have been really slow to come down. Um, We haven't had a lot of distressed selling, which as we know, in the last cycle, that's really what pulled down prices. And so we haven't seen a lot of that. And so voila, prices have have remained uh, quite high. With that said, we are seeing um, prices come down from the peak, and particularly in markets that have been that are traditionally more expensive, like your coastal um, California markets, for example. Do you feel like um, when you look at this, do you feel like we can predict like um, by the end of this year we're going to see you know home prices come down X amount, or is it just really hard with the inventory? I feel like that throws a wrench in the whole conversation. It does because the lack of inventory provides a floor, right, for how low prices can go. What I will say is that, you know, over the pandemic, we sort of had a national housing market, which is, you know, crazy to say because we're always talking about how real estate is local. But we really did. Everywhere you looked in every market, there were multiple offer bidding wars and um, prices getting bid up. But now it's really back to being local, right? We're seeing, you know, Markets in in Florida that are maybe a little bit more resilient, um, and then we're seeing you know places like San Jose and San Francisco where prices are coming down, and so it really will depend on where you are um, and what those price supply and demand dynamics look like in those markets. I think the other thing is if you're looking at comps, it's it just really throws things off because it's like oh it's down thirty seven percent or it's down this huge amount, but if you look at maybe uh, you know pre pandemic levels, which I guess it's hard to say what is normal, what should we be looking at for the normal or what's our baseline? Um, in, in your opinion, what is that? Is that 2019 prices? Is that, you know, at some point 2021, like, what do you look at? 
it's really hard to say, you know, what is normal because then you're, you know, you have to decide what's normal for inventory, what's normal for demand. Um, 2019 certainly was more <laughs> normal than, than 2020 and 2021. But even in 2019, you know, we had a lot of demand, um, you know, rates were still quite low. Um, and so it, it, it's hard to say that that was normal and it when it comes to prices, I think what's normal for prices is is what's supported by the fundamentals. Um, you know, is the housing market overvalued? Is are we in a situation where what people can afford to buy is less than the price of the home? In which case, that would be considered you know an overvalued market. And so, um, I would like to see a situation where house buying power or how much people can afford to buy is in line with what prices are um, in in each given market. Now you have um, current homeowners who are in a really great position, most of them, right? They refied into a pretty sweet rate and um, they've got lots of equity. And so they don't have a lot of incentive necessarily to list and or, or to move up, move down, whatever. First time home buyers are making that calculus looking at their rent. And I think this is where it gets really tricky. So in some areas, so I have two kids in New York City. Um, New York City rent has gone crazy, um, kind of coming off those, um, you know, lows we saw in the pandemic. And, you know, I mean, people are seeing rent increases, monthly rent increases that are just crazy. And so it's really, um, I know that's a very specific market, not really uh, indicative of a, a larger trend, but I do think, you know, Figuring out where you are in a local market and rent versus buy is really tricky right now. It, it absolutely is. And, you know, we've done some research to try and make this easier for people, but it's for that potential first time home buyer, if you can afford to buy, how should you be thinking about this? Right. And from the rent side, it's pretty easy. You just, you know, you compare how much you're paying in monthly rent, but then when you're trying to determine how much it will cost you to own, it's not just the principal and interest on your mortgage. It's so much more than that. It's the maintenance costs for your house. It's, you know, um, maybe like an NHOA or, or whatever you, you might I'd have to um, consider in those fees. But the other piece that you need to consider is the equity benefit from being a homeowner, right? Because when you're renting, um, you'll never never be able to gain that, that, that equity benefit or that house price appreciation that you will as a homeowner. That's really tough to do right now because you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know what I could benefit. I don't know what the outlook looks like for house prices. So, you know, if you look back in time that the, the Historic average house price growth is about 3.8%, um, a long ways from the double-digit house price growth we've seen over the last couple of years, but still pretty healthy growth um, in house price appreciation. So I, I, you know, we do that calculation by factoring in what is the historical appreciation to really um, to really be more informed as, as a potential buyer, what makes more sense to rent versus to own. And then of course there's a lifestyle piece, right? And we're always talking about the financial equation, but you know, are you ready to buy a home? Is that, is that, um, does that kind of match your lifestyle? Is that where you want to be? Um, and so there's always that, that, um, lifestyle decision as well when it comes to making the decision to buy or rent. You know, one of the, um, one of the calculations you have to do if you're going from renting to buying is is property taxes. So I've lived a lot of my adult life in North Texas and in a county that has some of the highest property taxes uh, percentage 
in the whole country. It's crazy. So people are like, oh, you know, Texas is great. You know, no, no state income tax, no this, that. Well, I tell you what, they do make it up somewhat <laughs> in the property taxes, which can be crazy. And then you think about the home equity that, you know, the, the fact that people's um, home equity has gone up or what their house is worth and property taxes can be something that then uh, becomes a detriment as, you know, if, if home prices keep increasing, especially in, so say in North Texas, we have had a pretty big run up over the last couple of years in a way that typically this area doesn't do, right? We're not a coastal area. We haven't been, we just haven't had that kind of hot thing happen before. And so now your people, uh, you're, you're seeing people are locked into some pretty amazing property taxes. What's First American? What do you look at? Um, how do you factor that in? So we do factor in property taxes to that rent versus own um, calculation on a market by market basis. And to your point, you know, you've kind of, you've kind of have to try to figure that into your calculation as it stands today and, you know, maybe bake in an expectation that that will rise over time and, and make sure that you can handle that payment. And obviously a lender will help you um, make that determination as well, right? What your, um, what your debt to income will look like and what you can afford. Um, but certainly taxes are a big part of that, that equation of, of renting versus owning. They really are. And I think that um, if people are going to, you know, like I said, most homeowners are in a really great position. So we haven't seen, you know, there was that whole like, oh, we're going to have a bunch of people um, who who are going to you know, come out of forbearance and um, need to, you know, need to get out of their, you know, have distress selling or whatever. We have seen none of that because of just uh, other economic factors. But I do think that the property tax situation could be one of those things to keep an eye on. Not that I expect some sort of tsunami of, uh, you know, foreclosures or anything based on that, but tax foreclosures are a whole separate thing. They are a whole separate thing. And, you know, on the foreclosure piece, you touched on something really important. You know, we haven't seen, um, even with foreclosures going up and they have a little bit, they're still below um, the pre-pandemic normal. And part of that is because, you know, if you do, if you do need to sell, um, it, you know, you're, you're just sitting on a ton of equity, right? Um, and so you kind of have this situation where you're maybe, you don't want to sell, but, but you still can walk away without having to foreclose on your property, but also the labor market, right? It's when, when we're talking about a foreclosure event, you typically need this dual trigger. You need, um, the inability to pay, um, which would, could come from potentially, you know, loss of a job, loss of a spouse, um, and also insufficient equity in your home. And we're in a situation where not only do, are people sitting on a ton of equity uh, on their property, properties, but they're also, you know, employed, uh, because the labor market's been so strong. Now, if we start to see, uh, you know, the labor market start to struggle and prices come down, um, you know, that's where I'd start to be a little bit more concerned, but, but I think just given the equity cushion that we have in today's market, I, I absolutely don't anticipate a foreclosure wave. When you look at, so we've talked about existing homes. When you look at the new home market, what is the outlook there? And, and can we expect that to sort of come in and save the day here on inventory? Yeah, that's well. So new home inventory is making up a larger share of overall inventory, actually a historically high share of overall inventory. Uh, but a lot of that inventory is in the process of being built. So it's not yet completed. Um, it's uh, that, you know, builders have had to face a lot of supply chain headwinds over the course of the pandemic. And so 
has sort of slowed them down. And so a lot of this is in the pipeline, but not yet completed. I think the interesting thing about the new home side is, um, you know, builders have to adjust pretty quickly because they want to get, you know, they want to sell that inventory. They can't stay put like an existing owner can. So we're seeing, you know, price cuts in the new home market. We're seeing builder offer, you know, incentives in the new homes on the new home side. And that seems to be working. There seems to be some demand elasticity when, when you see prices come down or you're offering um, you know, some of these quality features on a home, you're seeing buyers sort of come back. Um, but you know, right now at, at, at the high prices, um, it's, it's tough for the new home side. You can definitely tell the new home sales has been kind of in a recession, if you will. Um, but you know, if the price is right, I think the, the buyers will come back and we see that in the data as well. Well, and a lot of the new home building has been in the multifamily area, right? So not something that we would consider uh, helpful for the single family market, although obviously that helps on the rent side and the and the rent index side, but you know, not a lot of Absolutely. that is single family. Yeah. Yeah. So on the multifamily side, you know, we talked a little bit about rents coming down. Part of that is the supply side of the equation. We're getting um, a lot more units coming to market, new supply. And then on the demand side, uh, you know, household formation, rental household formation, specifically slowing um, is contributing to kind of demand pulling back as well. And so, you know, again, demand down, supply up, prices start to adjust downward. Are there any pockets of the country where you're like, oh, this is a really great, um, this is an interesting market to keep an eye on, either from the standpoint of like, like you mentioned San Jose and prices finally starting to fall there, which is, you know, welcome news, but like how far would they have to fall for the the average person there on an average salary to be able to afford it is another question. Are there are there parts of the country that are like, this looks like the new Austin, or this looks like the new, you know, hot, hot place, or conversely, places that you're like, they really didn't have a huge run up or, a, a you know, they're, they're not going to fall a lot. So they might be a, a safer bet. Yeah. So, you know, when we think about affordability, because you mentioned San Jose, you know, it's not, it's obviously prices are big, mortgage rates are the other factor and and incomes would be the third when we're talking about the affordability equation. So, um, you know, how, how far will prices need to fall? Well, it depends on what happens with mortgage rates and incomes in that, in that market. Uh, When we look at our affordability metrics, um, as I mentioned, clearly some of the coastal, uh, you know, California markets are, are where it's least affordable, but there are markets that stand out as more affordable. Pittsburgh um, is is one of those markets. Oklahoma City continues to pop up on our more affordable list. That's you know these are places where uh, a potential first time home buyer has a more affordable inventory available for sale for them in those markets. And so you know these are markets that I'm watching. But when I take a step back and look at migration patterns and and where people are moving, it's still those Sun Belt markets. You know it's still um, these major Texas metros where, where people are moving in um, because you know Sun relative more affordable and there are jobs. Um, and that's really the recipe for, um, for more net in migration to, to a market. You mentioned Sunbelt Phoenix stands out, you know, it's, it's been a topic of conversation for years now. So first of all, they were sort of the, the cradle of the eye buying, um, movement. And then, you know, has, has seen some fall off there. There are also a lot of talk about people buying investment properties there for short-term rentals. What do you see in the Phoenix market? We're starting to see the Phoenix market slow down, prices starting to to adjust downward. Again, it is one of those markets that saw a ton of um, interest from uh, 
you know, out of staters moving into to Phoenix because on a relative basis it was more affordable um, and and certainly you know an attractive place to, to buy. A lot of sun there too. We can't can't neglect the the weather, of course. And so still a lot of interest um, demand coming in, investors coming in. I've talked about this a lot. You know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Did investors come in because they saw prices rising, um, or did prices rise because investors moved in? Um, but we are starting to see you know um, prices start to adjust down in in that market. Market as well um, as demand sort of pulls back and, and supply catches up. Really interesting. You mentioned Oklahoma City. Um, I moved to Kansas last summer from um, Dallas. And so I drive through going back and forth a lot. Um, our housing wire office, our, our sort of hub, although not a lot of people are working from there is Dallas. And, you know, I still have family in Dallas. So I drive through Oklahoma City on the regular. <laughs> and it is it is definitely changing. Um, another city like that, my son moved to Tulsa. Um, about a year and a half ago on a remote work incentive that Tulsa had for people. And it is just shocking when I was looking at um, uh, housing in both of those markets, the number of houses you could get that you would want to live in that start with a one, like 120, 130. And you just go, wow, you know, but, but the whole, you know, calculus there is, do can you get a job there? Um, or like, you know, in, in the case of Tulsa, and I actually believe Oklahoma city also had that remote remote working thing. They're trying to lure people who are like, listen, you can come and, you know, afford a great lifestyle here while, you know, we don't necessarily have that kind of job for you, but if you already have that job. And I think that, I don't even know if you'd call those like tier two cities or like what, what kind of tier those cities are on, but they're interesting in the sense of like, you can build a life in a place like that. And we saw that happening, you know, obviously the, the ability to work from home over the pandemic um, accelerated some of these pre-existing um, pre-pandemic trends of moving out to suburbs, exurbs, and even leaving your um, your market to go somewhere more affordable. But now the ability to work remotely really kind of pulled forward some demand um, because if you were considering another market, a more affordable market where you can buy more home with that same salary, uh, we saw that happening quite a bit. And I don't necessarily anticipate that. I think that trend is slowing, obviously, and, and a lot of um, employers are calling for for employees to come back into the office, even in a hybrid situation. But um, the trend is still more work from home, which I think will allow uh, more movement to the exurbs and, and the suburbs and to uh, more affordable markets. And then of course the, the, you know, commercial demand will follow. We've done some analysis looking at, you know, what happened to prices for retail and office space and even, you know, apartments. And you, you kind of see that, uh, following the, the, uh, where people have moved. So you're seeing a lot more demand for some of these for retail space and offices in the suburbs where, where folks moved to over the pandemic. Um, so I think that's a really interesting trend to keep your eye on is, you know, what's happening in, in, um, you know, again, suburbs, exurbs, and more affordable markets. You know, um, love to uh, move our conversation back to mortgage rates a little bit, and and looking a little bit farther out towards the end of the year, um, you had talked about on the on the uh, market update that we did that that is you have seen that stabilization around six percent, or you feel like that is going to be the new stabilization point. Um, I've talked with uh, our lead analyst Logan Motoshami about the idea of a mortgage rate lockdown. Um, where people who are who are locked into such a low rate when when uh, mortgage rates have gone up so much, they're they're just disincentivized to to list their home, right? Because then they're going to have to buy another home. 
And, you know, we've been looking at like, is that in, does that still hold true? And he's not convinced that that is a thing. Um, from my perspective, I'm like, you know, at in the fives, do we feel differently than in the sixes? The seven seems like something that like really would just, I mean, we've seen it over the last year, it locked down, you know, the, the mortgage market. From your perspective, what do you think about that? And what is the level that people are going to feel comfortable at? Yeah, so I, I do believe the golden handcuffs of low mortgage rates are very uh, are very real. Um, like I said, the the bulk of inventory is existing home inventory, and so we're really reliant on existing homeowners moving in order to get inventory um, to move up. But unfortunately, it's something like eighty four percent of existing homeowners with mortgages are locked into rates below five percent, um, which which is a pretty substantial amount. With that said, um, one stat that that sometimes Times, uh, goes unnoticed, but I think is important to mention is that about 42% of owned homes are free and clear. In other words, they don't have a mortgage associated with them. Now, these tend to be older homeowners, um, homeowners that have purchased their, their home um, many, many years ago and have paid off their mortgage. But this is a, a potential pool of homeowners that could free up some inventory, right? That could decide that they're finally um, wanting to make that move, or maybe they want to retire elsewhere and give up that home because they're not right, right locked into the home. So I, I do believe that um, you know they can alleviate some of this concern over the rate lock in effect. Uh, but what the threshold is to get existing homeowners to move is is tough to say, but I, I imagine, you know, below 6% would certainly help. It's funny how everything is relative because obviously when, you know, when mortgage rates moved from in the threes to the fives, we saw some, you know, some panic there, but it was really when they shot up into the sixes and then the sevens where it just was too fast to, you know, it went up too fast in a short amount of time. And that's the key, right? Because prior to to this whole thing happening, we were saying, well, you know, historically, mortgage rates approaching 8% is very normal, but it's not about that. It's about how fast it changed, right? And how dramatic that shift was from below 3% to, you know, 7%. It seemed to happen virtually overnight. Um, and the fact that prices couldn't adjust down fast enough, um, that's really uh, what, what the problem was in, in terms of affordability. I mean, affordability declined 60% year over year. Um, that's pretty dramatic. Dramatic. And, you know, for people like us, so we're in the weeds every day, right? We're, we're thinking about housing, we're reading about housing, and we we understand the nuances and the shifts. But if you're your typical homeowner and, you know, you pay attention about two or three times a year, you might still have that whole thing. Like you said, like, I want to get what my neighbor sold for last May. Like, they're you know, they're not keeping up to the latest things. And I think that that person, perception is one of the biggest problems. Yeah. I mean, you know, sellers want to sell at yesterday's prices. Buyers want to buy at tomorrow's prices. Right. And um, unfortunately, they'll, they'll have to meet in the middle because, you know, again, buyers are anticipating that prices will continue to come down. So there's a lot of kind of wait and see. And then, you know, sellers are, are still hoping to get what their neighbor got. And um, I do think we're at a level of acceptance, right? If we're talking about stages of grief of higher mortgage rates, we're sort of at a, at a more, uh, at everyone's sort of understood. I don't think we're getting below 4% 
um, certainly not anytime soon. And so once you've sort of accepted that this is the new reality and prices will adjust, then I think it'll allow for some housing market stability. And we're starting to see that in um, different metrics. You know, higher frequency mortgage applications have started to increase, you know, pending home sales increased. Part of that is seasonal, but part of it is demand slowly coming back as mortgage rates have stabilized. So, you know, for all of our listeners who are working in a mortgage company, they're in real estate, they're entitled, they're in appraisal. It's been a it's been a tough go last six months. And um, you know, what is your forecast for like when do things get better this year in twenty twenty three? We're hoping. Where's the silver silver lining here? I think the silver lining is if inflation continues to come down, as I think most you know economists are predicting, we'll start to see housing market rebalancing continue into this year, and we'll start to see some stabilization in the second half of the year. Um, it's it's really dependent on mortgage rates, the path of mortgage rates, but um, I do expect that we'll start to see um, some stabilization this year in the housing market. And stabilization hopefully, you know, translates to people buying and selling homes. That's what we're all about. Yes. Some thawing, right? We were frozen at the end of 2022. We're starting to see, you know, the, the early shoots of spring home buying season appear. Um, and, and I do think that that we'll continue to see that um, throughout the year. Well, Odetta, thank you so much for being on. Great to talk to you. And of course, we will see you again soon. You're you're a, f- a frequent contributor to Housing Wire, and we often see you at other conferences as well. Really appreciate you taking the time today. It was so great speaking with you, Sarah. Thanks so much. Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the rolling hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st. Learn more and register your spot on the events page at realtrends.com. And we can't wait to see you in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.